We'll start in Exodus 16. Uh, I said, I, I told you I'd say glory a lot all throughout this morning, and it's going to continue speaking about the glory of God. And I wanted to make sure that we had a solid grasp on what we're talking about. Um, because like most Christian language, um, it sort of loses its weight, uh, becomes cliched, um, even becomes, uh, some even become slang for our culture. Uh, and so I wanted to take this evening, basically do a Hebrew word study of the word glory and a Greek word study of the word glory, and then find ourselves in a place in 2 Corinthians where we can sort of see the ideas coming together. Um, Here's sort of the the thing behind words, especially in the Bible. You've got a Bible that was given to us in its original form, one half of it in one language and another half in another language. And if you've ever taken foreign language or know anything about foreign languages, you understand that things get that there there's always not the same translation for each word in each different language. You could probably maybe get similar, like this word in Spanish means this, but when you say it in 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 French, it's got the same meaning, but in that culture, in that context, it might be a little bit different. Um, and so it's very important that you and I understand that the words that we've been given have been given to us intentionally by God. And each of them have a meaning that God intended when he spoke and breathed the words into the prophets, the apostles, uh, whoever was writing them down. Words are so important. That's why we call this, the, the, I mean, it's the word of God. Jesus is the, the word, right? It's not a coincidence that that is um, what Christ is called, the word. And so we, we have to understand that words are very important and we must care for them. We must take care of them. So we've got a, the Greek word that's translated glory, and then we've got the Hebrew word that's translated glory. Well, the Hebrew word has its own meaning different from the Greek word. Yet, you can really see the similarities. All right, And that's what I mean. The Hebrew, Greek, the Hebrew word communicates something, while the Greek word communicates something a little bit differently. And it's really good for us to know them both and bring them together. So let's start with the Hebrew Exodus 16, verse 7 and 10. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to give you the definition of the word, and then we're going to see it played out in Exodus. All right? And... um, so the definition of the Hebrew word, I don't even want to even try to pronounce it, really 
means weighty or heavy. Um, now, as you're in Exodus, I want to read from you in Nahum, where that same word is used that we translate glory, where it's used as something else. So the Hebrew word, as we think glory, we think weighty or heavy, maybe even like the worth. I mentioned this morning that a gold bar, it's 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 worth is really felt in its weight. Well, in in Nahum two nine, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. He says, um, "Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth or glory." Of all the precious things. And so the, the Hebrew word glory is really translated to us worth or value. Okay? Like that silver, those treasures, they find, they, they, they can tell their value or their wealth in their weightiness. The same is communicated with glory. Now, when we look at he, uh, in Exodus, we're going to see glory over and over again, the glory of God over and over again after they have made their way into the, into the wilderness. Hebrews 16, 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, this is Moses speaking, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, you that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. There, that last bit connects to what we were talking about this morning. God revealing himself. God making himself known. And what you see is that his glory seems to be in the area as he is revealing himself or making himself known. It's visible. Like it's literally visible to their eyes. They see it out in the wilderness in the cloud. Now, um, we see multiple times or we read multiple times that no one has seen God. Um, I think, it, is that in John 1? Uh, God is spirit. He takes no physical form. He himself does not have arms or hands or a body. He's spirit. But yet, 
his value and his worth shines forth. Like it has, I'm getting ahead of myself with the shine thing, but it makes itself known. And so it itself is not invisible, but can be seen and is seen by Israel. Look at Exodus 24. And again, remember, worth, value. Exodus 24. And understand what's taking place. By the time you get to chapter 24, they are around Mount Sinai, and God himself has descended upon the mountain, and then on that mountain are thunders and lightnings and thick cloud. There is smoke that is wrapped around the mountain and fires descended. And then in 24, verse 12 through 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written for your, their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, where God was present. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go there, or let him go on to them. Then Moses went up onto the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. God was on Mount Sinai, his, therefore his glory dwelt there. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So here we see God upon the mountain and showing himself. And it shows not just in a cloud, but a devouring fire. Now on to 29. Exodus 29. Verse 43. So God has given uh, Moses the command to erect a tent so that he might meet him there. He's descended off the mountain, okay? But now God wants to continue to meet with Moses and with Israel, but Moses specifically in, the, in what he calls the tent of meeting. Verse 43. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory, that being the tent of meeting. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. So there, that says something else that says something else to us about the, the, the worth of the glory of God. He says his glory will meet them there and his glory will sanctify the tent. What does that mean to sanctify the tent? Set it apart. Make it holy. Right? Um, just as we could say that when when Moses saw uh, God 
before he went to Egypt, how did he see him? As a fire, right? The burning bush. He saw the glory of the Lord. Now, it's not written that way, but he saw the glory of the Lord, and he said, basically, he said, take off your sandals for you on holy ground. What he, what he, he's saying, I've sanct- I sanctify this ground. My presence, my glory sanctifies, makes this very thing holy. It is set apart for me. Go over a few pages to 33. Exodus 33, familiar passage starting in 18, excuse me, yeah, 18. Moses said, speaking to God, please show me your glory. Now, that's kind of an odd question, especially after all that we've just read. Why? Because you would assume he had. You would assume that he was, he had... He saw the fire on the mountain. He saw the cloud in the wilderness. You would say, Moses, you've seen it. No, he hasn't seen it all. Why hasn't he seen it all? 19, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then you think, why would he say that? Well, number one, he didn't have to show him nothing. And number two, he's going to protect him from what he's about to see. He's literally going to keep, or he's going to preserve his life while giving him something that is beyond words. It's beyond imagination. He's going to be gracious to Moses and show him a part of his glory, a piece of his glory. Verse 20, he says, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face. Hang on to that that phrase for this evening. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes. So what's passing? Why his glory passes? God's glory. What is passing Moses? The incomprehensible worth and value of the creator of the universe. See, this is the part where I'm frustrated because I want to say it louder and harder to hopefully emphasize that infinite worth, but it, I, I can't. I can't. And so here it comes, not only the work of the Spirit of God to help us to see, to feel that weight, but I am convinced that it does take some work on your behalf as well. It takes meditation and study, devotion It takes you asking God to show you his glory, right? Now, my glory passes by this infinite worth 
and value of Almighty God. My glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but not, but my face shall not be seen. Okay, now let's move over to 34. I'm sorry, we are in 34. Still in, oh, it's 33. Look at 34, verse 29. So after that interaction, we get to see a, a glimpse of the power of that glory. How how massive, how heavy. When Moses came, did I say 29? Sorry, 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And guess where else they were afraid to go? To the mountain, because that's where the glory of God was. Moses got to see a, tent, a glimpse of the glory of God, and it was revealed in his face. It affected his appearance. I don't know how to explain that, but I just that's just what happened. And Moses, verse 31, called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them after all the people of Israel came near and commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, because he would continue to go into the tent of meeting even after descending off the mountain. When Moses uh, went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. Hmm. Head covering. I keep that in my mind. He would remove the veil. Sorry. Yeah. We've been talking about head coverings, 1 Corinthians 11. He would remove the veil as he'd go in before the Lord until he came out. And then he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, to speak with God. Two more passages here. Exodus 40. Verse 34. I'll start at 33. So Moses had this tent, right? But then God had Moses and Israel assemble the, the whole tabernacle around the tent. Okay. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Through all their journeys, whenever the, gla- whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their generation. Now I'm just going to read 38 again. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. But notice what they're doing. They're pursuing the glory of God. When the glory gets up and goes out, they follow it. Israel is to pursue the glory of God. Same as we. Okay, one more. And I read this as if I read it for the first time this this evening, this, this afternoon. Leviticus 9. So God had Moses and Israel set up this tabernacle, this altar, all this stuff within this. But he also gave strict strict instructions on how they were to worship within it and then gave strict instruction on who was to worship in it. And Leviticus 9 is the inaugural service, the inaugural worship service within the tabernacle. Verse 22. Now, there's never been any sacrifice in this tabernacle. There's never been any worship service. The only thing that's taken place, to my knowledge, is Moses has met with God in the tent. But now, the sacri- but now God has explained to them how they are to worship and sacrifice in it, and then this is it happening. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. Aaron the priest, the high priest. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offering. So he's done all that which he has been commanded to do and he said it before on the altar. And Moses and Aaron went, verse 23, into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. Look look at this. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What glory. What worth and value. So real quickly, I want us to understand two things. And we've sort of made it clear as we've gone through these. The glory of God is intrinsic. Meaning, it's His. He doesn't receive it. He doesn't receive it in the sense of He only has glory when someone glorifies Him. That's absolutely not the case. God is glory. 
He always has been. And he did not create his creation so that he could receive glory. He created it so that he could give them their his glory and then receive that glory back. Do you understand? The glory of God is his. But and so when we say we glorify God, we want to do the glory of God. We do the glory 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 from our perspective. All we're doing is acknowledging and reflecting back to him that which is already his. It's intrinsic, not extrinsic. Right? Not coming outside of him and receiving it, but coming from him and we get to experience it. And then as we do the will of God, love the Lord with all our hearts, keep his commandments, we are reflecting and honoring and giving back his glory to him. So it's intrinsic. And secondly, it's it, it, it we've I've said this already. It his glory is the manifestation of who he is in in total. Um Yeah, I've said all that other stuff. So as we run to the New Testament real quick, stop at Isaiah on the way. You guessed it, chapter 6. Isaiah. first five verses in the year of king uzziah in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I read that this afternoon and I thought, wait, I just said this morning that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Y'all remember me saying that? Well, I misquoted it. Well, I, I read it right, but then I said it wrong. Uh, Is it Habakkuk? Is that where I read it from? Not that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth, but the knowledge of the glory of of the Lord will fill the earth. Do you see the difference? The heavens declare the glory of God. Is everyone aware of that? They all know it, but they don't know it. They suppress it. We know this, Romans 1. The point being, to know the glory of the Lord is to live for his glory. So yes, every aspect of this world is for his glory now and forever. But one day, everyone who remains on the face of this earth 
I don't know. I'm I. I'm beginning to think that it's going to be quite a few people. Will be glorifying God in full knowledge and understanding of who He is. Well, let's go ahead and go on a little bit faster in the New Testament. Um, Matthew chapter 4. So the Greek word doesn't mean weight or heaviness. But the Greek word, uh, I know how to pronounce it, doxa. And the main way it's used is splendor or glory. And another way it can be used is brightness, shining, radiance. So splendor and glory, and then another way to use it, brightness, shining, and radiance. Now, I've got the first two time, first two examples we hear, we have here in Matthew, I want to show us, don't even refer to Jesus, but I want you to see this word used in the Greek in reference to something else, to kind of help, you know, it's like when you, a spelling bee, can you use it in a sentence? That's kind of what we're doing here. We're using it in a sentence to help us understand what the word means. Matthew 4, 8, verse 8. So Jesus is in the wilderness. Satan is tempting him. And Satan, in verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their doxa. Their glory. Okay, now turn over a page to chapter 6, verse 29, or two pages, whatever. And Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... In all his glory, his doxa, was not arrayed like one of these. So we've got kingdoms that Satan's offering to to Jesus and Jesus speaking of Solomon. Both instances were dealing with greatness. A kingdom's glory. Think about why else would Satan offer Jesus kingdoms? Their greatness. Their glory. And a kingdom's glory is made up of all the sum of its parts. A kingdom that is divided, separated, loses all of its glory, but a kingdom in its a kingdom that is full is glorious. That's why that's why you have conquerors. Men craving power and kingdoms because they have splendor and glory. Solomon, think about Solomon. The wisest, the richest, the most powerful man to ever live. He wasn't very wise in some aspects, but but the wisest... And the richest and the power, most powerful king. 
And Jesus says, well, he had some glory. He used Solomon to show his greatness. God's glory, on the other hand, similar, is the value of all of who he is. Think of, just go through your mind, the characteristics, the attributes of God. And in their sum, in their totality, gives you the glory of God. What makes God's glory more, uh, God's glory or splendor greater than the kingdoms or greater than Solomon? Well, the parts that make up God, and I don't like saying that because God's not made up of parts, but you get my point, are infinite. Kingdoms fall and will be burned up. Solomon was fallible, mortal. That which God is, all of who he is, every part of him is infinite. But not just infinite, but perfect. Again, think of Solomon. Wise, powerful, rich, but yet he did not have everything. But God is everything and perfectly in all of his attributes. And so what you the way we we see glo- we see Solomon had glory, we see these kingdoms had glory. But what God has is holy glory. Holy glory. Holy. Not like anyone else's. Because it's infinite and perfect. Because that is who he is. So how does this manifest in the New Testament? We've seen it mani- we saw it manifest in the Old Testament. Uh, on the mountain. In the wilderness. Uh, in the tent of meetings. How does... How does the glory of God manifest in the New Testament? It's a little bit different. Um, so we're out of Matthew. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. If you can... Well, you know what we're going to see here. Luke 2. It's a Christmas passage, right? Verse 8. In the same region... They were shepherd, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, filled with great fear. Now, shone helps us to understand that manifestation of the glory of the Lord. It, is, it, it, impri- it implies bright light. So what we're going to see in the New Testament is less about clouds and more about light or brightness. What about Luke 9? Verse 28. Now the eight days after these saying, now about eight days after these sayings, he took the, uh, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, 
the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Now hang, hang on to that. In Matthew, he says, And he was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And then in Mark, he says, And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. What was he showing them? The glory of God. The glory of God underneath his flesh. Shone so bright. There's so many words being used here that sound remind us of, of Moses. Moses goes up to a mountain, comes down, his face is white, glowing. Jesus is on a mountain, and his, his face shines and becomes as radiant, and his clothes as white as no one on earth could bleach them. What was happening here? What's happening here? Here's what I want you to understand. I mentioned it this morning. As God is revealing himself from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, he's doing it progressively. Meaning a bit at a time, a bit at a time, a bit at a time. We have creation. We know that the creation uh, declares the glory of God. Then we also know that the law also declares the glory of God. Because what was in the, um, the Ark of the Covenant? Ten Commandments. And what did, what did, uh, was it one of Eli's son's wives who declared Ichabod? When the tabernacle, or when the when the Ark of the Covenant was taken away, and Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. So he he reveals himself in his creation. He reveals himself in the law. What does he show? What does he do? He's revealing himself. Like I said it, but you got to think about it. He's revealing himself. He's making known who he is. He made himself. He makes himself known in the creation. He makes himself known in the law. He made himself known in the tabernacle. And now, in Luke, he's making himself known through his Son. We're seeing the glory of God shine from his Son. You know Hebrews 1. He, the Son, S-O-N, is the radiance of the glory of God. That, that word radiance isn't the word glory, but it's just a word that means immensely bright. The sun is the immense brightness of the glory of God. I tried to think of trying to, to, to kind of give us this analogy. Imagine a sun. No, I'm sorry. That's why I can't use the sun because S-U-N-S-O-N. A star. Imagine a star in the sky. The star represents God. What you see is the sun, S-O-N. 
that which you see is the manifestation of that which exists. When God sent his son, he was making himself known. Right? We know this because of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we go to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The progression of God's glory is building, of of the revealing of His glory has built and built and built. Now, two passages left to tie this all together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Hang with me. It's about to get real good. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. All this gets tied together. The Hebrew word for glory and our un- and the way that it's made known and what's being revealed in Exodus and to Israel, and then also what's being revealed through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. I'm just going to try to read this as quick as possible. Now, if the ministry of death carved in the letters of stone, so that would be the Old Covenant and the Ten Commandments, right? Carved in the letters on stone came with such glory... Now he's he's saying he's saying it so negatively the ministry of death letters of stone but came with such glory and we've already read about that glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses's face because of because of its glory which was being brought to an end it was being brought to an end will not the ministry of the spirit so the ministry of the spirit is the new covenant found on Christ Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? See, there's that progressive revealing, that progressive progressive revelation of God's glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. What does he mean by that? The ministry of condemnation was handing Israel a law and saying, do this and be blessed. What happened? They couldn't do it and they got condemned. But the ministry of righteousness is the ministry of Christ. When when God says, "No, I will not give you tablets, tablets. I will not give you tablets, my law on tablets of stone, but write them in your heart, and I will give you the righteousness of my Son, who kept my law perfectly." How much glory, more glorious, is that than the ministry of condemnation? Verse ten. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the old has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Progressive revelation of the glory of God. For if what was being brought to the end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. We as in... The apostles, not like Moses, 
who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So he's comparing himself here in his in his proclamation of, of the gospel and saying, we're not like Moses who had to hide the glory of God with a veil, but this is but what we have, the the boldness that we give, we come to you uncovered, full, full, full glory coming to you from Christ in the gospel. Verse 14. But their minds were hardened. That would be would have been Israel. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. So he sort of starts using a play of words. Not the glory of God was veiled from Moses' face, but what he's really saying was that the glory of God was veiled in their hearts. Their minds were hardened to this day. They when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only Christ. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. That's the circumcision of the heart. The gift of the Spirit. But now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, that, that being in the new covenant... In the ministry of righteousness, we all, with unveiled faces, un, or, or, or circumcised hearts, unveiled or yeah, uncovered hearts, we behold the glory of the Lord. That which Israel could not do, and are being transformed as we behold the glory of God, being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that glory of the old condemns and kills, but this glory transforms. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And he keeps going, just a few more verses, chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, that be Paul and the apostles, we do not lose heart. We've not renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning. Or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, so he's going back to that language again. If, if it cannot be seen, if the glory of God cannot be seen through their, through their gospel, it's veiled to those who are perishing. They have no eyes to see, no ears to hear. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, he, that was a quote there. I don't know if yours has quotations around that, that phrase, let light shine out of darkness. So he's saying, the God who said that, let light shine out of darkness, that God has shown, there's that word again, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in an only one place, in the face of Jesus Christ, the shining face of Jesus Christ. The great revelation 
of the glory of God, the Son. But is there one more revelation in Revelation? Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse 22. Here, I want to say this before we read this. This is what, what we're about to read. This is what it's all about. This is what we're pursuing. We're pursuing this now. What we're about to read, we're pursuing this now. What we're about to read is that which motivate isn't even the right word. But revives us and renews us day by day. Knowing that this God... Who did, who began his revealing in the beginning of time and has done all of these things and is building and building and building and building, he's shown himself to you. He's revealed his glory to you. If Christ be in you. This is eternal life. Knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is eternal life. And I just want to make sure you understand that that doesn't begin when we see his face. But we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He has shown it in our hearts and it begins now. And this is our pursuit the glory of God in Jesus Christ. But it finally comes to fullness as he comes and makes all things new again. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city. What does that mean? That means there was nothing there to house his glory. God's glory, God's presence, was to, was to reside in the tabernacle, in the temple. Well, in the new earth, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, I got to thinking about that this afternoon. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, and I saw no temple in the city, for God dwelt in the city, so they had no need for the temple. It says, and maybe another translation says it differently, but I didn't look. It says, for its temple, the city's temple, is the Lord God Almighty. Do you understand what that's saying? 
It makes it gives a whole nother meaning of abiding in Christ. Of being in Christ. They went into the temple to be in the presence of, of God. But in the new earth, in the end, for all eternity, we find ourselves in the Lord. I, I can't. I'm. The temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Why? Because he's everywhere. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in in the culmination of all things, we will see it exactly as it is. It won't just be the whole earth is full of his glory, amen, but we will... He will be, he he will be in all of his creation, his new creation. The city will have no need of sun. Not, this is where I I think we're getting somewhere. It's not as if God's going to be hanging out on the east side of New Jerusalem and then there's going to be admission of light and glory so bright that it's going to fill. I think what we're seeing here is that is everywhere. You're not going to be able to say, oh, he's over there. We got a little light casting this way. I, I don't know. We got to look into this a little bit and make sure I'm not sending you down the wrong path. But from what I can gather here is that there is no end to an infinite glory. Which maybe I'm, I'm so hesitant in saying this because it's so incomprehensible. We see through a glass dimly now. But one day. Face to face. And that's where we finish here. Turn over to 22. Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. Damned. Under his wrath. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. What do you tell Moses? No one will see my face and live. But here they will see his face. They will see the fullness of of his glory. And the night will be no more. It will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
Be gracious to us. Have mercy on us. And show us more of your glory. That we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.